Let's spend some time in the reading of the word. If you are here for the first time, we come together to read God's word. We've been reading from Genesis, and now we are all the way in Jeremiah chapter 30. And then we endeavor to continue to read all the way through to Malachi. And then afterwards, we'll go and read through the entire New Testament. That's, you know, that's as time provides us, as time affords us, we will do that. What inspired us from the beginning was reading through the entire New Testament. And then you guys were like, hey, Let's read through the entire Old Testament. I was like, yeah, sure, let's do that. I wanted to show you guys how quickly you can get through the Bible if you just spend 20 or 30 minutes a day reading the Word. And that's what we're going to do. Today will be a little shorter than usual, but I did want to at least devote some time in the reading of the Word with you all. This is not a Bible study. I reserve Bible study for Patreon or for other platforms. This is a Bible reading. Our commitment this morning is just to read the Word together. That's it. I just want you to read with me. And as you read, I want you to ask three questions. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? The second question I want you to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? And the third question I want you to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? We want to pray through these questions and prayerfully ask for the Holy Spirit to inspire us. So as we read the word, we're receiving revelation of who God is. This is about relationship, not about information today, but it's about you having an opportunity to eavesdrop on my um, commitment and my daily habit. And so I pray that you guys will continue to commit to that as well. And I'm encouraged that you guys are committing to that with me, given that we're almost at 150,000 downloads on, um, on the podcast, which is incredible to see so many of you making that commitment to read the word along with me. So let's do that. Let's read together. And as we read, we're going to pray that the Lord speaks to us through his word. Father, I ask today as we read your word today, Father, I pray that, Lord, you would uh, speak to us. Let's speak to each and every person here, Lord. I pray for revelation. I pray, Lord, for inspiration. I pray that you reveal your heart, your mission. Draw us nearer to you through the reading of your word today. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. Jeremiah 30, and it says this. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from, sorry, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, thus speaks the Lord God of Israel saying, write in a book for yourself, all the words that I have spoken to you for behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity, my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers and they shall possess it. Now, these words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah, for thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins, like a woman in labor, and all their faces turn pale? Alas, for the day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck and I will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave them, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I raise up for them, whom I will raise up for them. Sorry. Therefore do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, have rest and be and be quiet, and no one shall make him afraid, for I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all 
nations where I have scattered you. Yes, I will not make a complete end of you, but I will correct you in justice and I will not let you go altogether unpunished. For thus says the Lord, your affliction is incurable. Your wound is severe. There is no one to plead your cause that you may be bound up. You have no healing medicines. All your lovers have forgotten you. They do not seek you. For I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, from the multitude of iniquities, because your sins have increased. Why do you cry about your affliction? Your sorrow is incurable because of the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins have increased. I have done these things to you. Therefore, all those who devour you shall be devoured and all your adversaries, every one of them shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall become plunder and all who prey upon you, I will make prey for I'll restore health to you and heal you of your wounds, says the Lord, because they called you an outcast saying, this is Zion. No one seeks her. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwelling places. The city shall be built upon its own mound, and the palace shall remain according to its own plan. Then out of them shall proceed thanksgiving in the voice of those who make merry. I will multiply them, and they shall not diminish. I will also glorify them, and they shall not be small. Their children shall be as before, and their congregation shall be established before me. And I will punish all who oppress them, their nobles shall be from among them, and their governor shall come from their midst. Then I will cause him to draw near, and he will approach me. For who is this who pledged his heart to approach me? Says the Lord. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. Hmm. Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goes forth with fury a continuing whirlwind. It shall fall violently on the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not return until he has done it and until he has performed the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will consider it. Jeremiah 31. At the same time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword, the sword, sorry, found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when I went to give him rest, the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you again. I will build you and you shall be rebuilt. O virgin of Israel, you shall again be adorned with tambourines and shall go forth in the dances of those who rejoice. You shall yet plant vines on the mountains of Samaria and planters shall plant them and eat them as ordinary food. For there shall be a day when the watchman will cry out on Mount Ephraim, arise and let us go up to Zion to the Lord, our God. For thus says the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chief of the nations, proclaim and give praise and say, O Lord, save your people the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them, 
the blind and the lame, the woman with child, and those who labor with child together. A great thong shall re- a great sorry, a great thong. <laughs> a great throng shall return there. They shall come with weeping and with supplications. I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hmm. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off and say, He who scatters Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and has ransomed him from the hand of the one stronger than he. Therefore, they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the Lord for the wheat and new wine and oil for the young of the flock and the herd. Their soul shall be like a well-watered garden and they shall sorrow no more. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance and young men and old together, for I will turn their mourning to joy. I will comfort them and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. I will satiate the soul of the priest with abundance and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord. Hmm. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their border. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. You have chastised me and I was chastised like an untrained bull. Restore me and I will return for you are the Lord, my God. Surely after my turning, I repented. And after I was instructed, I struck myself on the thigh. I was ashamed. Yes, even humiliated because I bore the reproach of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For though I spoke against him, I earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, says the Lord. Set up the signposts. Make landmarks. Make your heart toward the highway, the way in which you went. Turn back, O virgin of Israel. Turn back to these cities. How long will you gad about, O you backsliding daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall encompass a man. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. They shall again use this speech in the land of Judah and in its cities when I bring back their captivity. The Lord bless you, O home of justice and mountain of holiness. And there shall dwell in Judah itself and in all its cities together, farmers and those going out with the flocks, for I have satiated the weary soul, and I have replenished every sorrowful soul. After this, I awoke and looked around, and my sleep was sweet to me. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. 
And it shall come to pass that as I watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to throw down, to destroy and to afflict. So I will watch them to build and to plant, says the Lord. In those days, they shall say no more. The fathers have eaten sour grapes. The children, the children's teeth are set on edge. But every one shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with the fathers in the day that I took them, took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, the ordinance of the moon and the stars for light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart, if, sorry, if those ordinances depart from before, from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the mount and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath. I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all they have done, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that the city shall be built for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. The surveyor's line shall again extend straight forward over the hill, Gareb. Then it shall turn towards Goath. The whole valley of the dead bodies and of the ashes and of the fields as far as Brook Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be holy to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up or thrown down anymore forever. The word of God. It is encouraging to see you all here. It's encouraging to see you all here to come together, to spend time, to read the word. Um, I've heard so many testimonies from you all about how this time that we spend in reading the word has been profoundly transformative for you. That is so encouraging for me because I'm seeing what I believed come to light. I'm seeing, you know, it's one thing to see with the imagination. It's another thing to see it come into fruition. And often when God gives you a vision for something, when God gives you a vision to do something, when God gives you a vision for a business or an endeavor or a ministry, what he gives you is an imagination to see something that isn't really there. And that's what faith is, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. But it's always a blessing when you step out in faith to do what you see, even though you don't see it yet. And in the moment that you see it, you celebrate. 
No greater feeling is it than that, to celebrate what you had seen in your vision come into fruition. I think it's the beauty of stepping out in faith. You get to see things that are not as though they are, and then to see them become what the Lord had inspired you for it to be. So for those of you who have vision, step out, go, do it, do it, step out, take a risk, take a chance, do it, do it. This is my vision for you all. This is my vision. It was, it was something that God had inspired me to do, to say, for all the hurt, the pain, the brokenness, and everything that we see in the church among Christians, a lot of it is rooted in the fact that people don't spend time in the reading of the word for themselves. They wait for an expert to read the word, or they wait for an expert to preach the Bible to them. When God has given you full access to him and to his wisdom through the reading of the word, this is not for the experts. Let me say that one more time. The Bible is not for the experts. The Bible is the means by which God can speak to us. And yes, there is uh, an expertise to the scripture and there can be teaching and all of that in the scripture, but just the reading of the word will transform your life. Even if you don't understand every element, every word and, you know, past, present participles and all the other things that uh, you know, that, that, that you take into account if you're a theologian or if you're uh, an exegetical scholar or anything. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, what's important is that you spend time in the reading of the word. Don't ever, ever let the enemy intimidate you to think that you are not qualified enough. You're not intelligent enough. You're not well versed enough to be able to read this word and to get something from it for yourself. No, just open it. Just open it and read it. And that's why I do this. This is what I have endeavored to do and to see it come into fruition and see so many of you share testimony of how the Lord has really done something incredible in your lives. Just spending time in the reading of the word is encouraging for me and to see it happen. I love that I get no credit for that. Is that God is just doing it himself in the reading of the word. And I, get, I do this because not only do I want to read the word with you, but then I want to share whatever thoughts that God inspires me with for the day. I don't have a lot of time today. So this is what I'll say. As I look at this word, as I read this word, we see Jeremiah now coming to a conclusion. It was not roses at the beginning of the book of Jeremiah. We see a children who have backslidden from God. The terminology that Jeremiah uses here is the har is harlotry, that they were harlots. They were supposed to be in relationship with God, married to God, in covenant with him, in covenant with him. That's what marriage is. Marriage is a covenant. I just posted not too long ago a post about marriage, and it got a lot of people upset because a lot of people thought that marriage was about, you know, you know, compatibility or marriage was about, you know, we like each other. Marriage is about let's pull our resources together. Marriage was about all those things. All those things are part of marriage, but that's not what drives a marriage. That's not what's central to marriage. The substratum of the marriage is the symbol that it represents in our relationship with God. It is a covenant. It is a covenantal bond. And for many people, they don't see it that way. They see marriage as simply you know, let's just commit to each other because right now we really like each other. And so let's just do this thing because it just makes practical sense. And so because it makes practical sense, let's do it. And we wonder why marriages aren't sustained in that because again, marriage goes way beyond practicality. It is a profoundly spiritual endeavor. 
All that is to say, covenant is the one thing I think people don't fully understand, and I don't have enough time to really break it down for you. But I will say this, in the same way that marriage is a covenant, covenant is a two-way street. It's a two-way street. It is a commitment of one and another to each other and to something greater than themselves. It is a commitment and a bond to something greater. It is a commonality, a becoming of one. That is what covenant is. For many people, we don't see marriage as that way. Marriage is not just, you know, let's come together. We like each other. Let's make this happen. Let's pull our resources because this makes practical sense. If we make that the purpose of marriage, it won't be held together. It's covenant. That's what marriage is. It's covenant. It's a, it's a contractual commitment between two people. And it's a contractual commitment that is bound by something greater than themselves. It's a oneness. It's a losing of self for the sake of the covenant. And covenant doesn't work unless both people bind themselves to this oneness. In the same way that uh, marriage is a covenant, a contract between a man and a woman, hmm, the same as for us, humanity and God. We are in covenant with God. There's a contract that binds us together, that makes us one, that makes us now inseparable from each other. I think we still separate ourselves from God, not realizing that through the contract, we are one with God. You know, Jesus says, I and the Father are one, and that almost sounds weird for some people. Wait, what do you mean he and the Father are one? We have an issue with oneness. <laughs> and I am not a oneness Pentecostal. Let me make sure you understand that. But we have an issue with this idea of oneness. We have an issue with this idea of us being one in each other. We have, we, 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 we're still so consumed by individuality even our salvation doctrines are very individualistic. You know, he came to save me. God doesn't save you without saving the world. And his saving you was a part of God's grand plan of saving everyone, saving the world, saving humanity, making all things right in the world, bringing everything into cosmic balance. Your salvation isn't personal, and salvation isn't just personal. It's corporate. It's institutional. It's broad, and it's specific. But you know, we've got a doctrine today where it's like, God just, God came to save me. Yeah, he came to save you, but he can do a lot more than save you. He came to save you to bring you into unity with everything else so that when everything is one can be restored together in one, that he can make all things new. But in making all things new, he's making all things one. That's why we, the church, who are one with each other, become one with God, who is Christ, the body of Christ, the church that is the body of Christ, all becoming one to bring all things into restoration. Unity is a part of salvation. Unity is a part of salvation. And I don't, again, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not afforded a lot of time here. So there's so much I would need to unpack from that. But I want you to pay very, very close attention to what I'm about to say, because it's so critically important. Is God ain't saving you if he ain't saving all of us together. Ooh, I got to record that. God ain't saving you if he's not saving humanity. Your salvation is not just personal. Your salvation is corporate our salvation. 
So if all you're thinking about is your breakthrough, but not thinking about the restoration of humanity in the world, you got this salvation thing wrong. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Salvation is not just personal, it's corporate. It's institutional. So if you came for God to save you, guess what? His saving you involves you coming together with him for the saving of humanity. Salvation isn't sitting back and watching. Salvation is now being one with Christ, participating with God to see the world restored. So if you think your salvation is just personal and passive, you got it wrong. Salvation is corporate and active. It's corporate and active. God didn't come just to save you. He came to save everyone. And his part of saving everyone comes in saving you. Do you see how this oneness thing works? Because it's saving you isn't separate from saving everything else and everyone else. It's all corporate. It's all working together. Do, do, do you catching this? And this is what God is restoring. This is the contract. This is the covenant that God made. When God made a covenant with Adam and Eve, he made a covenant with humanity. Adam and Eve had a covenantal bond in a relationship with God, and they separated from God, broke the covenant, and by consequence, separated from God. What happens when you're in marriage and you have a covenantal bond and there's this oneness between us? that now becomes a meanness. What happens when the weeness becomes a meanness? What happens when I'm one with God in covenantal bond and relationship with God, extensions of the glory of God? What happens when that becomes, you will be like God? Oh, you will be gods yourselves. What happens when we attempt to separate ourselves from God and assert our own selves as God? What happens when we're separated? That's, that's what happens when the, the contract breaks. The contract broke because Adam and Eve became individuals. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I'm throwing stuff out there that I, that I don't have enough time to break it down. But I, I, I want you to get perspective here because I'm going to give you my point. And this point is so important. It's so critically important. Because what happened with Adam and Eve is they went from one to separate. Did you forget what happened? Adam hid from God. He separated himself from God. Now Adam was his own person. Then Adam said, that woman that you gave me, all of a sudden now it's that woman that you gave me. We're not even together anymore on this. Did you just see what happened there? What happened was Adam became his own God. Eve became her own separate person. And in doing so, had to put on fig leaves because the fig leaves allowed them to cover themselves up because they're not one in each other anymore. Who was Adam covering up for? He was covering himself up from Eve, shame. Who was Eve covering herself up for? She was covering herself up for Adam. Shame. If I'm one in Adam, why do I need to cover up? I mean, if it's just Adam and Eve in the garden, why they need? Why do they need to get dressed? 
<laughs> it was that they became their own gods. They became their own person. They became their own individual, not realizing that while we are each made uniquely by God for his glory, we have all been called to be one. Covenant makes us one. One with each other and one with Christ. This is why you cannot love God and not love, you cannot love God and hate people. It's not possible. That is prideful individualism. And you cannot say, I love people, but man, I don't really know about this God thing. That's prideful individualism. We are in covenant with God and that covenant makes us one. And what happened with Israel is that Israel separated themselves from the covenant that they made with God. Because notice that covenant, what follows covenant is relationship. This is so important. What follows covenant is relationship. How backwards is our society today that we have to be in relationship first to be in covenant? Like, like I won't be in covenant with you until I get to know you. Until we, until, you know, I see that you're the kind of person that I can trust. And, and so we're not going to be one yet until I can trust you to be one with you. Understand this. I, this is not, this is not no judgment on those who date to assess, to see whether or not a person because a covenant thing is a two-way thing. I understand that. But understand really what holds a covenant or what holds a relationship. The covenant holds the relationship, not the other way around. We often want the relationship to hold the covenant. When it's the covenant that holds the relationship. And it's when the covenant is broken that the relationship falls apart. Gary, I'm giving you a little teaching, Gary. I know my brother right now is getting to the next step, going into marriage and all that good stuff. I'm, I'm proud of you and I'm excited for you and all of that. So I'm giving you a little teaching here. Guess what? It's the covenant that's going to hold your marriage. It's not the fact that you like her. That That's not why you guys will stay together. Okay, I pretty, I'm pretty sure there's plenty of married folk up in here right now. I know there's plenty of married people right now who can attest to this. Please help, help my brother out because my brother's here and I need y'all to help him see it because there is, there will be seasons in your marriage where you can't stand the person that you're in the bed with. Oh man, we're going to get in trouble today. There will be seasons in your marriage where you can't stand the person that you're living with. Well, you can't stand your spouse. You can't stand your husband. You can't stand your wife. You're about as close to hating them as it gets. Ooh, there are going to be seasons in your marriage. Because I think sometimes it surprises people when they think, oh, well, you know, once we're married, we're going to be in deeper love. Guess what? When you get married, you might end up 
hating the person who's next to you for a while because you get to see everything. And now we can't even run away from each other. We're stuck in this house with each other. There are going to be seasons in your marriage that are going to test you because what actually holds your marriage together, what actually holds you together is not your relationship with each other. It's the covenant you've made with each other. So many people have made the relationship the prerequisite to the covenant, but it's the covenant that is the prerequisite to the relationship because if the covenant comes before the relationship, the covenant will hold the relationship together, fuel it. It will nurture it. But if you think that, well, we got to like each other because there are going to be seasons where you won't like your husband and your husband won't like you. There can be seasons where you don't like your wife and your wife won't like you. There can be seasons where you can't stand there behind. There can be seasons where your trust is betrayed. There can be seasons where, man, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. There can be seasons where you question whether or not you should keep going. But when two people are in covenant, they know they're drawn by something greater than them, bigger than them. And when two people are in covenant with each other, they know. We got to press through this and work through this. And what comes on the other side of that is so much more beautiful. Get this. If God is in covenant with us, if it took us liking him and him liking us, we would have never been in relationship with God. It actually took God coming to a people who played the harlot to be joined to them to be in relationship with them. God came to a people who weren't even interested in him for the sake of the covenant. Marriage is not about what's best for you. Marriage is about giving glory to God. Marriage is about pointing to the glory of Christ. And when you understand that, man, it, it not only strengthens you moving forward, and how you navigate through the challenges and the difficulties of marriage. But man, it brings a fruit on the other side of that that's so much greater than anything, than anything in the world. Marriage is one of the most beautiful things. But at the same time, it can be one of the most painful things. I remember, and man, I'm, I'm, I'm going over time. I should have been done already, y'all fam. Um, I, I remember, um, I remember when I was at a point where I didn't want to be married anymore. That's right. It happens to pastors too. Um, and I remember going through that season and I remember, man, it took a, it took a lot. It took a lot. It took a lot out of me and it took a lot out of my wife. Trust me. It wasn't, it wasn't her at the end of the day. It was mostly me to be honest with you. And I remember sitting on a bed one night and my wife asked me, so what are we going to do? And I said, we're going to fight. We're going to fight for this. You can't stand my behind and I can't stand your behind. Here we are. We have covenant. We are inseparable. We are one. It's a beautiful thing when both sides are one. It's a beautiful thing. 
And that's what covenant is all about. Covenant is about oneness. We sometimes make covenant about individualism. And now I'm getting to my point. Covenant is about oneness. It's about us being one. Did you hear me? But us being one. So therefore, if I'm in covenant, it's not about my side of the bargain and your side of the bargain. It's not about my side of the deal and your side of the deal. That's what a contract is. Covenant is so much more than that. Covenant is about us being one, being bound together by something greater than us. And God made a covenant with his children, made a covenant with his people at Mount Sinai. We read this already. And man, did they mess up. They broke that covenant. And after they broke that covenant, because a covenant is a two-way street, it takes two. It takes two to do it. Covenant is a two-way street. And it's a beautiful thing. But what happens? What happens when it comes to our realization in our reading of this text? What happens here for an Israel that is broken the covenant is now separate because of the broken covenant because the consequence of a broken covenant is separation is division what happens because behold the days are coming says the lord when i will make a new covenant with the house of israel and with the house of judah israel is in shambles at this point israel is in captivity israel is down and out israel has played the harlot Israel has fallen to me, myself, and I. Israel has fallen into the culture. Israel has fallen to everything that is wrong. Israel, Israel is, these are not your model citizens. And now Israel finds himself in this place of brokenness, and yet God still shows up. And God says, the days are coming now, says the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Remember Israel separating the two, Israel and Judah, and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them from the land that led them out of Egypt, that goes back to Exodus, my covenant, which they broke. Ready for this? And this is going to set some people free. Though I was a husband to them, notice the imagery Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. So there's a new covenant now, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I want to make sure y'all y'all understand what's happening here, because for all the people who say, well, the Bible says to do this and the Bible says to do that. And you should read when you read Exodus, so-and-so, it says this and Leviticus, so-and-so says that. And we should follow that like it's law today when God is saying, I'm giving you a new law. We're not under the law. As a matter of fact, the law is not a law as we understand it. The law is a system of living 
and of doing. It was never to be understood. When we talk about the law, we sometimes think of it in legal terms. It was never to be understood in legal terms. He says what? He says, I will give them what? Look, it's not according to the covenant which I made with the fathers that I took out of the land, out of the Egypt. Remember, it's not even a law here. It's a covenant. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, says the law. He says, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds. This is the mind of God, the heart of God, the character of God, the essence of God. He says, I will put my law where? In their minds. It's not going to be in a book. It's not going to be in a, um, it's not going to be in, in, in a Bible. It's not going to be in a, in doctrine. It's not going to know this, this one will be in their minds. And I will write it on their hearts. And notice now with this new covenant, what comes is a new thing. And this new thing is a relationship again. I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is what he's saying to Israel. Look at us who were never really under Israel's law. And yet we still felt like we still needed to follow the Bible like it was ours and it was never Israel's. And even when it was Israel's, God said, I'm going to do away with that to give them a new law. He says, you, I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. Why? For they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. He's saying, they will know me. This is the consequence of the covenant of God is to know him. What did Paul say? Paul said salvation is knowing God. That is salvation. Is knowing God. And for some of us, we're still trying to follow rules. We're still trying to check off Markers and say, hey, do this and do that and do this, and then we'll be good Christians. For some of us, we're still trying, we're not realizing that God has come to a people who could not obey, could not live according to the covenant that was made at Mount Sinai. And for the covenant that they couldn't live on, that Israel could not comply to, we're trying to push it on Christians today to comply to it. When he says, no, the time is coming when I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Today, if there's anything that I want you to realize is that this covenant, this relationship, this this, this union with God has very little, if not nothing to do with you. You couldn't do anything for it. You couldn't do anything for it. And yet the grace of God brings revelation to the character, the heart and the will of God that now is written on our hearts.
written and given it to us in our minds. We receive the spirit of God and we walk in the spirit of God. And they who walk in the spirit of God, these are sons of God. So for everybody here who is like, man, I keep falling short. I keep making these mistakes. I don't know. I don't know. This is the promise that was made to Israel reveals a new covenant that is made for humanity. This law is going to be written on the hearts and the minds. This covenant is going to be sacrificed. It's going to be signed by the blood of Jesus Christ. This new covenant is going to be established. We are anticipating God doing a new thing. There's something to come and we're going to see it later in the text. So today, let's stop trying to just follow rules and let's seek to be filled with the Spirit of God. Because when we are filled with the Spirit of God, we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind. You don't need more ideas. You need a renewed mind, the Spirit of God. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask as we close here, I pray, Lord, that we would um, see the revelation of this new covenant. Lord, this new covenant, Lord, that you have bestowed upon the children of Israel. Lord, we anticipate that even as we read it, Lord, there's a tension in this story. But we know as the story progresses, what is revealed in this story. And so for there are those of us right now who aren't in that tension. We know the revelation that comes in this story. We know that it's Christ. But Lord, I pray even as we find confidence in that, Lord, let us walk in that confidence. Let us live in that confidence. Let us walk in the spirit. And we say that in Jesus' name, amen. Love y'all family. Gotta run. Um, I will see you guys on Monday. All right? Love y'all. Peace out.